Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. No man can give anybody his freedom. Man is born free. You may enslave a man after he is born free. You always told me it takes time. How much time do you want for your progress? We have to go to the root. We have to go to the cause. Dealing with the condition itself is not enough. No, no. Welcome, everyone, to this very special episode of Beyond Black, the podcast and journey to active allyship. Today, I have two very special guests um, with me to talk about the upcoming election in Canada. So if y'all want to introduce yourselves, I'll send it over to... I'm pointing, and yet neither of you can tell who I'm pointing at. So whoever wants to go first. <laughs> oh, the awkward silence. Who goes? I'll go. <laughs> uh, my name is Taylor Fox. Um, I am the co-founder of a company called Commanda Collective. That is how Emma and I crossed paths. Um, so we, my sister and I create earrings, um, using sort of traditional indigenous beadwork techniques. Um, so we use that to uh, tell stories and talk truth and uh, sort of promote different modalities of healing. So I am Ojibwe, um, mixed Ojibwe, um, and my family is from the Nipissing and Sagamok nations. Um, so yeah, I kind of just wanted to quickly make a note. It's kind of a interesting being indigenous these days. There's lots of like expectation to be knowledgeable on all fronts so I did kind of want to just say you know I don't speak for all indigenous groups um but you'll sort of hear my opinions today <laughs> right on and... that's, that's a lot to follow up um I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm Jacob I I used to live with Emma she is my sister um <laughs> not not as interesting uh what i don't really know what else to say to be honest i am um i'm very interested in politics i'm very interested in this election because i think it's really important at the end of the day um it's not the end all be all but this is a really kind of trying time for a lot of people and this election can shape um, a lot in the future. So I'm kind of looking forward to this conversation and yeah, we'll see how things go uh, obviously on September 20th. So that should be interesting. Mm, yes. I, I like that you bring up the date because yes, if whoever's listening to this didn't know and you're in Canada, the next federal election is coming up September 20th, 2021, which is just around the corner. We are recording this on the 29th of August. So that's coming up real soon. Um, yeah, they really just threw it at us. So very quick turnaround time. Um, and uh, how to, how to, how to roll into these topics? Because uh, this is the first federal election since we've seen the uh, resurgence of um, the Black Lives Matter protests kind of 
have a resurgence of momentum um, since we've seen the murder of George Floyd on just about every social media platform um, since Canada has had this, I don't even know what to call it, this moment where uh, they're being, everyone's being forced to sit with, I don't even know if that's the right way to say this, where everyone is being forced to, where we can't look away from the history that the genocide that's been perpetrated and continues to be perpetrated on this land. Um, And so this is the first federal election since, I guess there's been a change in the energy um, where it's not just BIPOC who are fighting for change. Uh, We've seen a push from allies and a different energy where that enter or where that allyship hasn't just died down quite the same way it usually does. Um, which I'm thankful that that energy is there and I want to see it continue to grow. Um, so I guess that's why we are here today to help allies uh think about that when they go to the polls this year yeah it's definitely been a heck of a 18 (laughs) months or so um (laughs) having everyone kind of stuck inside they had a lot of time to kind of reflect on things and i think in a lot of in a lot of ways it's been i think pretty positive i think a lot of people have had kind of their own kind of reckoning so yeah Mm -hmm. this this election is really going to kind of put that to a test in a way which is yeah pretty darn interesting if you do if I do say so myself yeah a crazy 18 months uh is a good way to put it but yeah I uh, I like how you approached this Emma of just saying you know let's give people a few other things to think about that is not really in the media right now um because the media has been pretty pretty like fluffy (laughs) yeah yeah like not a lot and then what's out there is pretty fluff I actually had a hard time like researching because I'm like there's just like not it seems like there's just not a lot (laughs) out there I like to say the term um back to brunch uh the media (laughs) went back to brunch after (laughs) yeah a really kind of wild time and then an election was thrown at us and there's like well there's actually nothing else going on at this point but there is an election there are some issues but we're gonna go yeah. back to brunch yeah yeah I like that term and as <laughs> someone who is like rides for like I'm a ride or die for brunch I <laughs> it hurts me and yet I get it because it does feel that way it's like oh great like you know in the states it's that thing of like oh we got Trump out of office like we did our job back to brunch and now it's kind of a similar thing here where it's like what's gonna happen here it's like oh great like uh, back to brunch like Mm -hmm. we did our job we we voted or whatever I I mean it's not quite the same in Canada because we have an entirely different (laughs) political structure however it, it it is that there is that worry here of the the back to brunch syndrome that the media continues that narrative but yeah um something i guess with that same vein like 
the back to brunch, one of the biggest things, uh, one of, these are all huge things. I can't say one of the biggest things, but last summer, um, one of the topics that was on the forefront of everyone's mind was police brutality, something that was hot. Everyone was talking about it. Um, and while that is still kind of in the uh, part of the discussion, we're not seeing any discussion of that coming from journalists. Um, I, I'm finding it hard to find information like where are the parties, what are the party stances on mm -hmm. police brutality? Where do they stand in terms of defunding, uh, divesting? What what are their plans for? Uh, where do yeah where do they stand? Because you know there's a a large portion of the people who are asking for to defund, to redirect the funding, to abolish like all forms of different things. What are they saying? Where do the parties stand on this? And I found that very difficult to find a direct, like a, a straightforward answer. Yeah, I didn't see anything that was clean and clear cut of like, we stand for this. I saw NDP make a statement, but it was with the lens of what's happening in Ferry Creek from the RCMP, mm -hmm. just about like, but that doesn't really have to do with race. So it, it no. you know, so it's, it was more like the indigenous standpoint. And he's just said it very briefly, like, you know, the RCMP is federally regulated and I would look to, you know, something fluffy basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, for the most part, that kind of conversation really, it didn't really have a long kind of shelf life, the actual, mm -hmm. at a kind of real level in the mainstream media that was maybe a few months, and then it was kind of shelved. And mm -hmm. you mentioned, Taylor, like, th this stuff in Ferry Creek is, is abhorrent, and the RCMP is fe federally regulated. But at the end of the day, this is like the kind of stuff that we're trying to get rid of all across the nation to mm -hmm. really try to get these forms of policing and redirect those funds to communities that need it the most, the most underserved people. And we saw it in COVID how much these people struggled. And mm -hmm. now on just a local level here in Ottawa, we want to increase the police budget after promising to at least freeze it and this is just the trend that just keeps on happening over mm -hmm. and over and over again so yeah. the fact that like you've both just mentioned that this is kind of not an entirely a, an important topic when it really should be is actually quite troubling and you would think a kind of the most kind of left-leaning party like the NDP would actually kind of seize on that and try to mountain effort to kind of speak to those people and there's a lot mm -hmm. of people who have that same kind of feeling but it's just not there and it's kind of honestly really sad um yeah yeah, yeah. it felt like it, of all the parties you would expect it to come from the NDP and it just feels like they fall short on this point it's it's interesting to me that on this point of uh, defunding, like it's not to say that the police are just going to be gone. 
um, for the people who hear defund or abolish the police and start to panic about safety in the streets. It's not to say that from one day to the next, there will be no police. It's that it's that same thing of when you go to a job interview, say the requirements for the job are you need to uh, have a driver's license, uh, a full G license, um, be able to speak English, French, Spanish, and Italian. And you need to uh, also, I, I, I don't know. Um, be available four days a week. Yes. And then you, there we go. And be available four days a week. And then you show up there and you're like, well, I have my G1 and I do speak English, Italian, and Spanish. I just don't have my French yet. And I'm available three and a half days a week. You're like, right. However, that's fine. How, but this job has very, very specific requirements and you just don't meet them. Therefore, we can't give it to you. And that's what it's like with the police. Like they just are not equipped to handle mental health crisis. Like mm -hmm. they're just not, they're not equipped for every single situation they are called to and they are not trained. And that's not a bad thing. It's because they're trained to do something else. And therefore we need to give that money that they have to the people who are trained to do the job and call those people, not the police for everything. Um, I don't see why that's such an, a hard hit. Like I, to me, I'm like, why would you want to call someone who doesn't have the requirements for the job? Yeah. Um, the data shows the results. Like it's, it's undeniable mm -hmm. that, that it's a flawed system. Yeah. yeah. And just in general, um, like this, the social determinants of health show that you won't really need police as much if people's needs are met. Yes. And then when we see exactly like across from Toronto to Halifax to BC, police being sent to encampments of people who are unhoused and just absolutely brutalizing people who are defending them, who are trying to just say, we are here for you. We are here for you unhoused people who just have nowhere else to go. They put up a tent and then they get brutalized by the police. Yeah. When the amount of police that are sent there for those 17 people or so could house them for an entire year. Yeah. And then we just continue to flush away this money. And if you want to be a you want to be <laughs> fiscally conservative, that's a great argument. House these people. <laughs> there are so many different there are so many good examples. Finland is just doing it now, or they've eradicated homelessness where they have basically just given people apartments so that they can get back on their feet. And wow. you can't really get a job if you don't have a permanent address. It's really hard. Once you mm -hmm. fall down that, that kind of hole, it's really hard to get out. And yeah, just seeing the amount of people, the amount of tents that keep popping up just about every community, it's, it's no secret at this point that, that, where our priorities are completely out of whack and that's definitely tied into the police and the security apparatus where are we putting our money it's not i in my opinion it's not the right places yeah amen yeah um 
I mean, that was a, that's a great segue into the, you know, the housing crisis. Uh, I just want to jump back before we move on to the housing crisis. Uh, one thing I will say about when when you're thinking about police brutality and when you're looking into the candidates before you vote look into their past and where they stand because in Ontario and I, the reason I'm bringing this up is because it was done in such a sneaky way is the Ontario Police Service Act there is a regulation that was put into place and it's not in the police act it's done as a regulation so if you're just reading the police services act you're not necessarily going to see it unless you read every regulation under each point where anytime force is used anytime an officer uses force and a report is written it is in the regulation that that report is to be destroyed 30 days after it is written which means that anytime a police officer uses force on anyone in any way, whether it be with a stick, their hands, a gun, that report is destroyed after 30 days unless the report is found that the officer is required to go through extra training because they didn't do something properly. And then it's held for two years and then destroyed. So what what this the implication of that means that after 30 days when an officer uses force that they decide is justified and no, and and if no one uh, no higher up thinks that it was uh, there was nothing wrong with how they used the force that report will be gone and destroyed after 30 days meaning that if you are trying to find any kind of national statistics of police brutality in Canada you will not be able to find anything accurate because in Ontario, there is just no way of knowing how much force is truly used because it's gone after 30 days. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is an Ontario specific it is, problem, Yes, but it, it just kind of shows how kind of sneaky and brutal a lot of these systems are. And for example, um, here in Ottawa, the, the liberal candidate for Ottawa center um, I might get his name wrong. Um, Yasir Nak- Nakfi. He was a member of parliament when they, the liberal party passed that right ahead of the, the, the G G20 summit in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were cracking heads. Um, they were really just brutal at that time. And then the, the, um, the chief of police for Toronto, Bill Blair, he's still sitting in parliament. He's sitting pretty as, um, as they pass these laws to really just kind of brutalize the most vulnerable people, the people who are really just trying to have a say in things and they don't, they don't get it. And that's mm-hmm. just absolutely it, something to keep in mind. Yeah. So just to note to maybe like, if you have the time to look into the history of where your candidate stands, um, their history with things like that, uh, because you can look at their track record. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we said, uh, police brutality goes hand in hand with housing crisis, the housing crisis, because we're just uh, police, RCMP are just using force left, right and center to yeah. remove people from their homes. Like I just, and, and the thing that's, you're just, I look at this, I'm like in the middle of a pandemic when 
we're already in uncertain times. Uh, things are already so unstable and people are already struggling to have access to water, um, soap, sanitizer, and housing. And we're just gonna brutalize them on top of that when I, I don't see how criminalizing homelessness is any way to respond to a societal failure to care for people's needs. Amen. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> I'm like, you kind of covered it. Yeah. It's, um, it's astonishing to see. I mean, I guess I shouldn't be astonished, but it's just really heartbreaking. And like, I haven't been on the ground for any of them uh, of the sort of like removals, but um, just the videos and like the, you know, the RCMP on the horses, like storming mm -hmm. these camps and, you know, like these people, you know, have to leave all their stuff. That's like all they have. And the shelters are not properly equipped to deal, yeah. you know, a lot of these people are addicted to drugs and instead of being like exiled, they need trauma-informed care. And mm -hmm. that's not, mm -hmm doesn't even I haven't heard that from one politician's mouth ever no <laughs> but like yeah. that's what's needed on a honestly that's my outlook on a multitude of these topics and just in general like I would love to see that phrase come out of a politician's mouth because like that's where we're at <laughs> like we're just like compound effects of all these systems resulting in homelessness and mm -hmm. you know all these like it just unfortunate sort of like situations for people and instead of exiling them and treating them like dirt like they're still people and they've had shit lives because of the shit circumstances we allowed them to be born into yeah yeah I, I think I, I think it's it's really hard unless uh, for people who have never seen it or been near it to realize how easy it is uh, for one thing after another to lead to someone experiencing homelessness that have absolutely nothing to do with your motivation with your like how oh, I hate that argument. I, like, I do oh, too should work. like oh my god and 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 then um and then you're like okay great like you want someone to get a job how do you get a job when you don't have a number to be contacted at when you don't have a house to clean yourself at when you don't have secure food when you have all these barriers I'm like yeah. you sh sure just uh, okay that, that's a yeah. <laughs> I'm like there are so many yeah. <laughs> barriers in place it's like yeah a person could be completely motivated and it's like great I just need someone to not have prejudice against me because of my like my situation my circumstances right now and give mm -hmm. me an opportunity to start working that'd be yeah. great however I have all these barriers in place and this prejudice that society has because I'm experiencing homelessness right now they won't even give me an interview yeah well and fundamentally like their day-to-day -day existence they're just reminded from every system healthcare, like just mm -hmm. people on the street like they're just reminded that they are less than so like yeah they need to be like empowered properly and treated with dignity to even have the the like the I'm sure the 
eagerness is there, but the will to like apply for a job, you know, even though in theory they want one, it's like to have the dignity given mm-hmm. to them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think in general of kind of affordability and the away kind of the economy, how do we get out of this? Once the pandemic is quote unquote done with, once things are mostly settled, how are we going to look at the economy moving forward? Is it going to be more austerity? Is it going to be more of the same uh, status quo stuff? Or are we going to move towards putting people first? And when we're talking about housing, when even the Bank of Canada says the housing crisis is out of control, that's not a good sign. And at the end of the day, I'm not really a fan of any of the parties, like the major parties, housing platforms, because I think they all really fall short. Um, The big thing for the Liberal Party is they're trying to do something where it's like, you're going to rent to own a home. That's what they're trying to do. That's their big catch um, for their housing platform. And that's not really going to solve it because at the end of the day, rent is also extremely expensive for just about everyone. And we can talk about the living wage i'm sure we're going to get to that eventually um that's inadequate you don't people can't people are burning all their money on rent and so on so we really need public housing we need public housing we need in a sense to kind of not put property values ahead of the kind of well-being of communities because that's how we've gotten to this when real estate is our biggest uh point of our economy it's even bigger than our oil production that's not a good sign because at the end of the day, that's, that's pricing people out of homes. And we've really kind of artificially inflated that in this country. And I don't like any of these party platforms. Unfortunately, I, I know this is kind of taboo and, and stuff, but the communist party is the only one that's talking about building public housing. And that's what we need. And no one's, no one's talking about that. So the only socialist party that doesn't even have a sitting MP is the only one who's talking about that. And that's what we need. But <laughs> that's why I want the NDP to kind of do a 180 and to talk about public housing, because right now they're just talking about uh, funding, essentially giving a kind of a credit to people to help with their rent, which is just going to go into landlords pockets. And that's not going to fix the massive problem we need right now. Yeah, and wasn't it like a a super short term, right? Like, was Mm -hmm. it even a one-time credit? Like, it's It's, just a bunch of Band-Aids. And it's not even good Band-Aids. Like, really, like, ones that are, like, falling off. (laughs) Like, you can still see the wound. Yeah, putting a really weak (laughs) Band-Aid on when we need stitches. And it's really, really bad. (laughs) It really is bad. And it's really sad to see. Yeah, I mean. Doom and gloom so far, eh? (laughs) (laughs) A little bit. A little little bit. bit. Just a little. Um, yeah. yeah. Speaking of living wages, you were you were spot on there, Jacob, because that is the next um, the next point. Because that is another area that I'm like, who who's talking about living wages? Um, actually, thank you, Jacob, for sending me that really short and to the point NDP commercial <laughs> about in taxing. Quebec. That was a that was a great commercial. Uh, we can maybe put you can maybe put that in like the show notes yeah let's yeah it is Um, a commercial for quebec because i mean they're trying to make gains in quebec um it's 50 second commercial but it is really to the point it just basically saying let's not keep propping up the most wealthy people in canada and let's actually tax tax them um 
or to kind of help out with uh, everything else, kind of spread it, spread it around a little. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And okay, before, before, and I'm going to try and find uh, the, my source, which I will at least cite them, Sandy and Nora Talk Politics podcast. I have to try and find the episode where they discuss this. However, before people come uh, into the DMs and the emails talking about, well, the rich work for their money and they earned it. Let me just tell you that wealth inheritance is a huge thing. You are not taxed for your wealth inheritance. It's not considered income. It's just handed to you. And fine, you can make an argument that that doesn't need to be taxed. That's fine. However, in this country of Canada, wealth inheritance is massively disproportionately swayed like towards white people um there were legislations put in place long times long long ago allowing uh, putting for ways for white people to get ahead uh, through property through different uh, property is the one i know the best um allowing for white people to start accumulating wealth well ahead of everyone else for generations um So when people talk about reparations, this is one of the things they're including is because white people have had centuries of time to start accumulating wealth ahead of everyone else through inheritance. Um, And so there's that. There are also all of these ways that corporations avoid paying taxes through loopholes. And it's like, there's this club at the top where they know how to get away with uh, avoiding taxes by giving people bonuses or passing money between shareholders. And do I, I w- hope I can find the episode of Sandy and Nora so I can link it in the show notes for everyone to listen to it because they explain it very eloquently and actually know the terms. Uh, I am not a finance savvy person, so I do not know the tax words correctly for this however it is actually a myth that the rich corporate especially corporations are pairing are paying their fair share of taxes they are using loopholes and ways tricky tricky ways to avoid paying taxes in any way possible um so yes when we say tax the rich tax the rich because they have been finding ways to not do this and they have had years centuries ahead of us uh for not paying taxes and accumulating wealth ahead of us so yes tax the rich i'm for it yeah and before anyone if anyone's listening to this that might be offended by that it's likely not you who's the rich the quote-unquote rich it is it is individuals who are making tens of millions of dollars. It is not you. So don't, you don't have to defend them. Um, no. Just putting that out there. And they're probably making tens of millions of, dollar, of dollars off of your back and your work and your sweat equity. So you should want them to be taxed as well. It, we're, we're not trying to tax you. We're trying to tax them because they're using the working man's labor for their gain yeah yeah and then 
in terms of kind of livable wage, I mean, we don't have to really get too much into that, but our minimum wage is way too low. Like when we talk about affordability and talking about the housing as well, people can't get by on that working more than people often have to work more than 40 hours a week. And even then still are in poverty. And that's just, that is not working for anyone. So that is something that has to get way up. Yeah. Shoot it Um, way up. Like our, Sorry, Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Taylor. (laughs) I was just going to say. Yeah, and I wish there was more education about how, like, the percentage of people in poverty actually costs, like, you know, for the more fiscally conservative people, like, it costs us more money. Like, it does. It does. So it's like, I wish there was clearer education on that on a broader um, level, because, and that's what, yeah, it just, it, it, um, it frustrates me because a lot mm-hmm. of what people are worried about is not actually found like factual. You know what I mean? Like they just have been fed the same system and programmings and beliefs. And they're like, that's what it is. We can't, we can't give like homeless people houses. We can't give people a living wage. It's um, frustrating. Yeah. I'm trying to, I was going to try and find the name of this book that uh, came to me through TikTok but I don't want to have it just like <laughs> making sound. Um, so Jacob, if you remember the name of the book um, that talked about when that, how time, when they started monetizing time um, with the industrial revolution, how it went from like the shoemaker had his own tools and then um the factory came in and started competing for prices and suddenly the shoemaker was no longer in charge of his own hours and then um had to get a job at the factory where he was no longer in control it's very similar this is a very similar concept we are no longer in control of our time uh we live to work because we need money to live now we live in a society now that so favors money and you can't you can't get by without money you just can't and so you live to work um I'm yeah and it's a scarcity mindset and we're now competing for the same resources that should be provided because there's more than enough wealth to go around absolutely um I would recommend just searching up worker alienation that's essentially what you're describing and that has been exasperated to the point where it is yeah people feel just a lot of dread and that's what happened from years and years and years of pushing people away from that feeling where they're just their work is not just it's not only not satisfying but especially when wages are so low it's just this is yeah. how this is how it can get to this point essentially. yeah and when you're when you're like majority of your society is on like the proverbial hamster wheel and you know working mm-hmm. full-time job plus side hustles like plus you know something else on the side side um people don't have the opportunity to like nurture their like creativity and their inventiveness to actually like provide value to society they're just mm-hmm. like these little workhorses right um so that's i find that's a 
a big shame. Money in the pocket of the ultra rich. <clears throat> Speaking of the ultra rich, they are the worst for the climate. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's true. I, yes. I, you know, this is a thing where for years uh, the messaging has been you, the individual consumer saving the planet has been on your back and it's your fault it. because yeah. you do bad things. And to an extent, we can all be better, of course. Mm-hmm. However, a lot of it is these massive corporations that just do not deserve to be running the show and governments who have lost, in my opinion, the, like they, they, they have lost, what am I trying to say? They, to me, should not be running the show either anymore. Um, I have not seen any platforms that uh, talk about giving land back to Indigenous peoples. And I think that this is a thing, not just in Canada, uh, around the world. This is a conversation where some colonial settlers come in, steal the land, and are harvesting and taking every resource for gain and without any respect uh, for the land. And it's limitations what it can do any sustainability um and i haven't seen any platforms talking about this yeah Yeah. uh and that is yeah it's really disturbing that that is not at the kind of center of the kind of climate movement and with that report from the ipcc that said it's a code red we need to act now and the incumbent government wants to continue to build the pipeline to fund climate action how kind of backwards is that it is just it is kind of it is mind-boggling and here in Canada we have some of the most fresh water reserves in the entire world we might have the most I could be wrong but at the end of the day that's why we should be protecting the land we should be absolutely putting that at the forefront but we're not and things like like line three pipeline where a private company company like Enbridge is funding the overtime bill to the Minnesota state police to brutalize activists there. It's like, this is a Canadian company that is involved in absolute damage. Or we talked about it earlier, Ferry Creek. Why would we be cutting down old growth forests? Why? When they give ox, like there's so much that we're doing here that is so counterproductive And yeah, I think a lot of the kind of platforms they do fall absolutely short and it should be centering land back because we only have one planet and we're taking it extremely for granted. And I want to kind of end off this point with what you were saying at the beginning, like the the individual stuff that that is literally propaganda from like BP oil that would, (laughs) this is what they've been funding for years. This is where they spend their money is deceiving um, the individual and continuing to get oil subsidies. So we need to continue like a huge overhaul of how we do things in terms of the land and climate and it needs to happen now. Yeah, it requires action. Like, you know, the Paris Agreement happened and Canada came out with, I think you might've referred to one of them. I, d- I didn't write the names down, but uh, I'm they're just escaping me. But in 2020 and 2016, like full on responses, um, and I think it said 168 times there was references to Indigenous peoples, um, you know, that 
our rights are important to like they're intrinsically connected indigenous sovereignty and climate crisis um, and the knowledge and yet there's like no tangible actions and steps that have been taken so for me it's just like talk is cheap and getting cheaper by the minute with this topic and so you know the NDP has like made a few comments about climate crisis and indigenous people but it's like we need action um I think that's where I'm at is like it's just been so much um talk and you know they say they're gonna always consult um indigenous communities local communities but then in 2016, there was all the um, provincial leaders got together about climate action and there was not one indigenous person in the room at the table. So it's like there's consultation, but not decision-making power. And I think that's that's the difference. Yeah. 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 And then on top of that, like th- you need money to make this transfer, right? And um, And yet the... Canadian government handed out 18 billion to to oil and gas in 2020 after stating that they were going to be transitioning to clean energy and not nearly as much money has gone towards clean energy so it's just like it's frustrating (laughs) again government y'all have lost my confidence um yeah and with your your same topic but different about loopholes for like the ultra rich which really is like Mm -hmm. oil and gas is um i need to continue to investigate this but the polluters pay system is like sold as this really positive thing and it's like um if you take action to sustainably preserve the land and traditional ways, or I forget the exact verbiage, um, then you get like a rebate uh, as, as a corporation. But it's basically a loophole that they can just buy land and get out of paying mm. their emission taxes. So it's like just all these snaky things that we do nothing. Yeah. And we, we just like see like, oh, polluters pay. Like that sounds great. But no one like <laughs> looks into the details. And to me, that also just that sounds like nothing because I'm like, these companies have so much money. I know. Great. They're going to, it's what, a, a drop in the bucket for them? Like, mm-hmm. it, it's uh, yeah. enough with the oil and gas. Yeah. Like, I think what we need is absolutely a civilian climate core and which really kind of centers indigenous people and voices. Mm-hmm. And I will kind of add, I think for the most part, the at least like you said, Taylor, it is it talk is kind of cheap, but the NDP at least is saying they want to kind to bring in indigenous people mm-hmm. to kind of shape some of their policy. Will that actually happen? We'll have yeah. to kind of wait and see. But um, yeah. I think it's one of the more promising kind of pitches. Um, we know there is this huge debacle with the conservatives where they actually voted to not have the word climate change in their own platform so we know that that's not very good and then the liberals they're really obsessed with the pipeline and continuing to fund oil and gas the ndp at least is trying saying they're going to commit to end oil and gas subsidies so that's that is a good start for me and then unfortunately the green party is very 
not good right now and i will just i'll kind of leave it there so i don't go on a separate rant but um <laughs> yeah they're in a they're kind of in a bit of a pickle so yeah <laughs> yeah um okay another topic that i i wish there was more uh discussion around this um any would be nice to see right now truth and reconciliation because as we know like we've had report the report come out um and then there was the follow-up with the missing and murdered indigenous women um investigation invest was the investigative report that came out as well and um just nothing um and in fact worse than nothing we we have uh a currently the party that is in power spending millions of dollars fighting survivors of residential schools in court um fighting to destroy documents to keep things hidden i am baffled by that behavior mm-hmm. that is the opposite of accepting the truth of what happened and working towards reconciliation Mm -hmm. um yeah (laughs) there's a lot I have to say with this one but I mean yeah the report came out there was 94 calls Mm -hmm. um how many have been taken is actually debatable because like some of people say well we've started this one but we haven't finished it and etc I think it's between like 8 and 14 is what I've sort of gathered um which is obviously like a really minuscule percentage um you know obviously all of this stuff that the report came out in 2015 and it was kind of like in the news a little but then you know uh has sort of dwindled off and I think most people haven't even thought twice about it or didn't even know it existed until the sort of recent Kamloops uh, residential school findings Mm -hmm. and so yeah I think for me that I mean for any indigenous person I think because I I would you'd be hard-pressed to find an indigenous person in Canada who hasn't been affected by residential schools Um, so I would say so when I say all I'm I'm pretty confident in saying all of us were in some level triggered by obviously Mm -hmm. like all that news and and, and I think the reaction though was like one of the tougher things to swallow. I think like a few days after, I think pretty sure Trudeau tweeted something like shocked and dismayed and just this idea of being shocked, uh, I think just <laughs> pissed everyone off because it's like, what? Like <laughs> it says it in the report, it was through like, and it's just like, it's not shocking. Like this is how Canada was built um from a general public response um you know I I saw a lot of shock too and I'm like okay fine like we don't we don't do a good job in our education we don't do a job in our education system to educate you know kids on the real history of Canada so like I'll give people you know a minute to to be able to claim that they've been living under a rock but after that it's like we don't have time for that and when it comes to this election um for me, this is one of the most important issues. And I guess for me, what I'd like people to understand and grasp if you are trying to be an ally to Indigenous folks is like the 215, which is now 
um, interestingly enough, I can't actually find an updated number. There's not a news release in the month of August with a number. Like it's like buried. So I saw about two and two or three weeks ago, I saw it's up to about 1800, but that was 11 out of like a hundred residential schools. So yeah, I think it's even more than a hundred. I think, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's only the schools that Canada claims responsibility for, well, which is like, there's yeah. so many hidden little loopholes and yeah, there'll be, and there's other bot, like I was, uh, I actually visited um, the residential school that my family attended, um, my great uncles and great grandmother. Um, I visited last weekend and was in ceremony and community and just discussing. And I think the the sentiment, at least from the community I've been in conversations with, is okay. Yes, it's shocking. It, you know, it's awful. But what we need people to wake up to is that it didn't stop. Like Canada just got smarter. So yeah. yes, the, the the doors are closed on the schools. But, you know, you've got the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls is a mm -hmm. facet of that. Like, you know, you've got access to clean drinking water. That's mm -hmm. killing people. You've got the disproportionate incarceration rates. Yeah. And then for me, the most haunting of all is the child foster care system in Canada. Yeah. Like the statistics yeah. are staggering. There's more, currently more kids in the hands of the Canadian state than there ever was in the residential yeah. school system. And foster yeah. care is private like partially privately funded so there's for-profit foster care systems which is just like foster care homes it's, and it's, it's really gross like, it's so you think they're being treated well like <laughs> I don't no. think so no. and so for me it's that's what I kind of want I would love for a party to really like hone in on that the NDP has been getting there um but yeah it's, I don't know, for me, it needs to be a fundamental paradigm shift in how Canada treats and views Indigenous communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't, I still can't get that image out of my head of, of the prime minister kneeling with a teddy bear at the school, like, oh, that gosh. kind of just like, that just kind of like sums up the kind of how people how the kind of general population reacts to this. It's like, it's basically just a photo op they react at the time and then where yeah. does it go from there and yeah. it's it is really like with the the truth and reconciliation report it came out when well trudeau was already in office i believe mm -hmm. i could be wrong with my dates yeah. but I, where, I, I where have we gone ran, from there? i believe yeah. he ran using uh like uh that was part of his platform that he was yeah. going to push forward the he was going to like he was gunning uh, for the indigenous vote and he it was. helped him win. yeah and then he turned his yeah. back on everyone yeah <laughs> yeah you know so the i can't again i can't speak for everyone and i was trying to find a statistic but obviously there isn't one but um you know a lot of indigenous folks who felt that sort of sense of hope when trudeau originally did run and he was saying all the right things and obviously has done basically none of them um mm -hmm. there's a huge just uh like anger really at the current government and and anger and sort of realization like is anything going to change like there's just a sort of like I've, i'm over it energy yeah. mm -hmm. um 
and the community. And I, I, I feel like that, um, I, I feel like that there is a, a, a unity there amongst the, the BIPOC population in Canada where, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, there's solidarity there where, absolutely um, you know, a lot of, a lot of the racialized and marginalized community are over it, like communities yeah. are over it, where in a way that facade, that pretty, those pretty promises don't work anymore when your track record yeah. speaks more and people are paying attention to it more. I think that's the difference now where um, in the past, people, you know, with politics, it was like you had your federal election and then people kind of went away and lived their lives. Whereas now people are paying attention to what you're doing in between those elections. Um, I believe it was something like the liberals have run on promising uh, like universal pharmacare for the last 24 elections and have yet to push it through. Um, Or childcare. (laughs) Right. $10 a day childcare things like that so it, it, it we're coming to a time where your track record is starting to speak volumes and i think that uh in a sense that speaks to canada as a whole where canada is very concerned with their branding i'd like to say how they present on the world yeah. stage that that image um of like the happy-go-lucky, cute little RCMP riding a moose kind of like golly gee image. And uh, that uh, facade is really, really, the veil has been lifted. Um, Wearing out, yeah. mm -hmm. Um, People are tired of it, Um, you know? I I, I just got an image of like, like an older gentleman like trying not to age and his like toupee keeps falling off and he's like he's like I'm young I'm still the same and it's like everyone can see the toupee is falling off like I don't know where that came from I've never thought of that before but as you were talking that's like what I feel like Canada is right now I think that's an apt description (laughs) yeah how how Canada's toupee is falling off yeah Yeah. um I don't want to, because I think it's, we should be wrapping this up, but I think this also kind of uh, parallels what's happening with Afghanistan without going into mm-hmm. the deep history there, because that's a long, it's a lot to unpack. A lot <laughs> to unpack. However, yeah. this idea of the military and it was like all for peacekeeping, and then you see what happened, how the U.S because uh, you know where the u.s Can- leads canada follows kind of mm-hmm. all of nato essentially uh, the yeah. amount of forces amount of countries that were involved with it the toupee has fallen off in afghanistan as well like <laughs> yeah. it, it really is the kind of same it is it is true there's a lot of kind of parallels i mean it's in a way it was almost like a a, a settler colony as well mm-hmm. but with like an occupying force but mm-hmm. it was the military before it was the United States, it was Britain. Um, it's and they were never there to help Afghan people. No, it was all yeah, I resource hate, extraction. Like women, and, women and girls' rights, and it's like yeah. okay, yes, but that's not why you're like just cut the shit. 
Yeah. Like it's, yeah. you know what I mean? Like I don't, there's some yeah. great grassroots organizations doing that work, mm-hmm. but that is not why the yeah. military was there. No. And, it, and it's this thing of, you know, we're, we're just where uh, our nation is just fueling the, you know, military industrial complex, the prison industrial complex, they're all interconnected, all of these systems, um, you know, even we didn't touch on it, but our healthcare system, all of these Mm -hmm. systems are woven together. And I don't like saying that it's broken because quite frankly, to me, it's just operating as it was always intended to operate. Yeah, I was going to say, it's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't want to speak for the two of you. However, for, you know, it's like, for me, my eyes have been opened and I can't unsee or unknow what I've become aware. Yeah. And like, I can't unknow or unview my past and go, Mm -hmm. no, no, I've always been in this racist, in these racist systems, like from my childhood to now, I can't unsee it. I can't unknow it. The system has always been set up where I have to work so much harder to achieve a fraction of what others around me, uh, how they prosper. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it feels there's a bit of hope coming with this election where I don't have to fight as hard to have people hear me when I say this. You know? What's really cool, actually, is Gen Z and millennials are now the biggest voting bloc in mm-hmm. Canada. Yeah. So as much as electoral politics are not the end all be all, mm-hmm. they can be very discouraging at the same time. I would encourage anyone to vote, even if you you mess up your ballot and you're not actually voting for anyone, I would just encourage you to try to try as much as you can to get own vote. And we can try to be the change we want to see. And mm-hmm. I will kind of repeat myself. It's not the end all be all, but we, we have to at least try. Yeah. We, we really do have to at least try. Yeah. Um, and I guess, yeah, I guess the other thing to keep in mind is that no matter who wins in this election, um, at the end of the day, this isn't the end. It's it's mm-hmm. not like the federal election is done and then we just go about our business and it, it, that's over. That's the end of democracy. We have other avenues. There are other ways to stay engaged. And that's actually even more important. Yeah. Um, we can't let the politics, we can't ease up on the politicians. We can't let things go um, because then we have things that pass through like the regulation in the police services act. Um, we get things like, uh, you know, we have things like Trudeau fighting residential school survivors in court. We have things like no one doing anything about the missing and murdered indigenous women. We have things like so many communities without water which is just like uh, come on like that's are you that's just like come on are you you kidding like really um so you can't it's like the no you can't and it's I think it's like the our federal 
well, any politician, like they don't, they're not really there for us. Like they're, they're there for the funders and the lobbyists and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, so it's up, it is up to us to like put on the pressure. And at the end of the day, they don't care about indigenous people. They don't care, like their actions speak. They don't care about really anyone who's remotely marginalized, like, and, and so it's up to us to really like, you know, what I would like to say is like, you know, pick, if, if you were unfamiliar with like anything we talked about, like do some research and mm-hmm. there's, there is research out. There's like, there's a plethora of, um, institutes that are, are made, you know, um, creating, uh, reports that are not like government funded. Like you do have to kind of be careful with what you're reading, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah. And just try to like keep on the pressure because, if they don't care and we allow them to care everything allow them to not care it'll just keep going so we, mm-hmm. we have to force them to care really yeah yeah and remember like don't burn out because then no one's good to any like we can't burn ourselves out so if it's all super overwhelming pick a topic that's like that matters to you the most and go with that one and stay informed with that one keep up to date with that one or a couple of them if it's just like there's too many because yeah. it is a lot. I'll all do it all. Which, exactly. Yeah, that can't be the message because it's not achievable. But yeah, and yeah, start with one, research another, and you'll likely start to see the in, like intricacies of them and how they connect to each other. But just a big mm-hmm. web, as you said yeah. earlier. But yeah, so there is hope. <laughs> there, yeah. It, it, it might the seem, <laughs> yeah. It might seem doom and gloomy, but there is, it, there is hope. Uh, this is, yeah, the, like Jacob said, the first election where millennials and Gen Z's have, have yeah. the majority. So I hadn't I thought of that. Yeah. yeah. I honestly hadn't. So like get out powerful. there. Yeah. Talk to your people. Like, I don't know, have a little voting club, like, <laughs> I, 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 like make a party out of it. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Make it cool like, to vote. Yeah. Make it hip. Yeah. <laughs> so don't use the term hip. To describe. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe skip the word hip. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, like any final thoughts? Any takeaways? No, I think I think no, I'm good. That's a good um, um, Yeah. I'll have yeah. a hard time not getting fully into an issue again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think we've covered quite a bit. Yeah. And yeah, just to kind of end. Yeah. No, politicians are not your friends, but Mm-mm. you still you still should go out and vote. Mm-hmm. And I won't say hip, but make it make something happen with your with your circles. Try to yeah. get, try to get out the vote as much as possible. And remember, you uh, can do a mail in ballot, so you don't even need to leave your house this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, you never yeah. had to before. However, you can really utilize yeah. that this year. But make sure you you request a ballot before the deadline. I I don't know it off the top of my head. I think it's either September 10th or 14th. So you might want to check that out. I think on it was elect- 14th. I, re- I remember seeing it was like I was like, oh, that's really close. The deadline. Yeah. The yeah. So yeah, essentially, Elections Canada, the website, it's pretty easy to navigate and. Um, if you voted before you are already registered to vote I believe so um, if you're not if you never voted before go and register and yeah it's pretty simple so um, make it happen make it happen make it happen 
All right. Uh, before we sign off, thank you so much for joining me for this. Um, Jacob, Taylor, anything y'all like would like to plug before? Uh, if, Any if, anyone, if anyone wants to follow me on Twitter, I do. I do talk about politics. I do also retweet some pretty stupid stuff. Um, but it's Jacob L. Mitchell. Um, yeah, you can find me there on Twitter. Nice. Sure, I'll plug my business again. Yeah, please do. <laughs> I'm uh, primarily on Instagram at Commanda Collective. Um, yeah, we we like to s- tell the positive stories of the Indigenous community, but we we get pretty vocal with some of these these things too. So we try to educate. So <laughs> yeah, I follow Emma. follow both of those accounts, and twelve out of ten endorse. Um, and that's it for Beyond Black today. Um, if you want more content, follow Beyond Black on Instagram at Beyond Black Pod. And uh, that's it. Let's get out there and uh, do some work. Bye. Well-